0: Welcome to Confessions of a Higher Ed Social Media Manager, where we delve into the world of higher ed social media through the eyes of people behind the screens. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and everything in between when managing online presence for colleges and universities. From navigating the latest social media trends to dealing with crisis management, we'll hear firsthand accounts of what it's really like to be a higher ed social media manager. We'll sit down with masterminds behind some of the most innovative and engaging social media campaigns in the field and hear their behind the screen stories, best practices, and insider tips. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready for some candid confessions and valuable insights into the world of higher ed social media. Confessions of a Higher Ed Social Media Manager is part of the Enrollify podcast network. You can subscribe to this podcast at enrollify.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Confessions of a Higher Ed Social Media Manager. I'm your host, Callie, and I'm so excited that you're joining us for our very first episode. Today, I'm joined by a dear friend and fellow higher ed social media manager, CJ Tabasco. CJ, how are you doing?
1: Hello, Callie. Thank you so much for having me. I am thriving, as I like to say, either tongue in cheek or seriously, but today, seriously, pretty good day. Thanks for asking.
0: Great. So I'd love for us to just dive straight in. I could go on for days about how talented and creative you are, but I know I'd miss the official titles and stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself, like your elevator pitch.
1: Okay, well, um, I am a 2014 graduate of the school for whom I currently work. So in a sense, I I consider myself very fortunate because I get to every day sell a product that I deeply love and believe in, in the University of South Carolina. I would be remiss not to shamelessly plug the handles. Please follow us on all of the socials at U of SC to check out what not, not even me, my, my incredible team, um, does daily from a content perspective, um, my my journey is such that right after I graduated from USC, I got a job in s- corporate social media at Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina. I always say I did my time in corporate, but that's not to say it was negative. It was a phenomenal experience. I learned so much, especially about the paid side of social, that I don't really apply as much in my current role, so I have a little bit of that as background. So I, I did my time in corporate, learned so many lessons, and got the call um, in 2016 to come back to USC, which was just a dream job for a 20, what what was I, 24 at the time, 24-year-old. Um, Couldn't say no to it. Um, within the first two years on that job, I convinced my bosses that we should expand, that that yet yeah, we're doing a great job, but we could be doing a lot better. And, and that would be at the hands of some content creators. So um, over the course of the next... Uh, year after my first two years at USC I, I expanded my team to add a specialist up under me so a, a number two basically a person that could do everything that that I do in my role and um, also a designer somebody that could bring some some graphic concepts to life on our campus or on our social media feeds um, and a videographer so someone who's who was dedicated to to video because at the time that was 2017 2018 around that time. It was all video all the time. And I knew we needed to make an investment in um, some quick turn video content. And in light of that, we brought on a video creator. Uh, The team has grown even more since then. Um, Now we have a photographer as well, full-time, and he does some video as well. He's helping us out with some of the vertical platforms. But uh, in March, next month, will be my seven-year anniversary at USC, which as a millennial, I did not think was going to happen to me. So I love what I do at USC. I love the people that I work with. And most importantly, like I referenced earlier, I love the product um, that I get to sell on social every day. I I truly believe in it. And I think that's, that's truly a gift.
0: We're in the same town. So I love following all of your content and being able to meet your team and just see your passion for USC is reflected in the work that you do, like very clearly. So we have been through the ringers together um, as our city has experienced different Um, heartaches and tragedies, and then also supporting each other through our own campus situations.
1: And Kelly, I would argue, somewhat together in this uncharted ish territory, at least in the southeast, like I I tell people all the time, pretty confidently, it was pretty unheard of to find a full time social media job back in 2015, 2014, 15, when we were looking at Um, jobs, right? When I graduated college was 2014. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really seeking out a social position specifically. And um, we've seen just since we've known one another, the emergence of not just a social media person for major organizations, but in many instances, a social media team um, for these brands. So just these past six or seven years that you and I have been doing these, these jobs, not just in higher ed, but, but across the Southeast, there's, there's just been global investment in um, the jobs that we do not just not just in higher ed so it's been a really exciting time to make friends um that do this do a similar job because I feel like in in many respects we've grown close because we have navigated so much of this new stuff together and it's um, it's a testament I love it yeah it's so cool to see the validation in our
0: careers too of seeing it become um I know when we first started it was a lot of like the interns are running the account and we've seen that narrative really change over the years like there's still that small voice where people will chime in like who let the intern post that but for the most part it is um, seeing teams grow and see people respect the roles and the work that we're doing in our positions. Okay, CJ, what is your favorite moment or memory from working at USC?
1: I think now, it it used to be this really viral tweet that we sent after we um, upset Duke in the Final Four. I quote tweeted um, somebody, a a sports organization. I want to say it was like USA Today Sports, a reputable organization who were like, Duke's path is clear to the national championship now with only South Carolina remaining. (sighs) And we, we upset them, and I simply quote tweeted that, oops. Um, and that was a pretty cool moment, but it pales in comparison to December getting to watch my little sister graduate from, from USC, um, and not even like where my family was sitting, but where we where we stand as content creators, they're, they're right at the end of the stage. Um, really hard to explain the feeling uh, that that was, because... South Carolina was such a special experience for me and getting to share that with my little sister. I think anybody in this position would feel the same way. Um, and plus our, our commencements, uh, our graduations are ticketed events. So I didn't need a ticket to get in. It was kind of nice. That was, a, that was a joke my family and I made a lot. So uh, between the viral the viral tweet, which is kind of like a right place, right time thing, which I think is what we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and, and watching my little sister graduate I got to go with watching my little sister graduate, but, but the oops tweet is a, is a um, solid second. Yeah.
0: I remember when y'all posted that there, that was (laughs) such a good, perfect, simple response that I remember, I mean, going fully viral because it just was such a, just a simple, yes, we did this. Um, It was perfect. Y'all have a few viral tweets that I love. Um, I will admit my favorite one is about the squirrels on uh, your campus. Every yeah. every college, Roger, saying that, Roger, yep. Um, every college <laughs> saying that they have um, the best squirrels or something, and yeah, that one. I think you said something. That's about.
1: that's something you should explore with like a like a biologist on this podcast while you're getting off the ground. Maybe talk about why colleges, higher ed feel so passionately that they have the weirdest or most intense squirrels because I actually think that would be a highly... Coveted podcast episode. A lot of us would listen to it. A lot of us would share it. A lot of us would protest if we didn't get selected as the best, the best squirrel campus. Me, I would, I would protest. But yeah, <laughs> do not come for us when we did not send for you, Roger. <laughs> yes,
0: it was epic. I actually have that saved in my Twitter bookmarks. Um, oh my gosh, because it makes me laugh every time I see it. So <laughs> let's chat about what you think is the most underdiscussed part of this job. What do people not talk about enough?
1: Under discussed, I think globally, because um, under discussed can mean like under discussed among social pros. We talk all the time about burnout. Like we know that's very real. I would still argue that's under discussed um, globally, like how these jobs as creators um Either for brands or as individuals can be so overwhelming. So while I know a lot of social pros um, talk about burnout in this profession and always feeling the need to feed the beast, I, I do think our our industry talks about that. But globally, I think just the reality that that burnout is is here to stay and is only getting worse in jobs like the, these. Absolutely. Uh, deserves deserves a little more airspace, I think, beyond just um, the bounds of those who do these jobs. But um, globally, also one thing that's under discussed in these jobs is oftentimes, and I don't mean for this to sound like oversimplistic or reductionist, but how easy sometimes these jobs can be. I, I think that we can get into a pattern of overthinking stuff um, especially if you've had like an especially uh, term- tumultuous few weeks on your social media profiles it can be easy to get into a pattern of feeling like oh we need to really play it safe when, when really our audiences have moved on so I would argue that sometimes just like that oops tweet that that um, went viral for us uh, not overthinking, and, and sometimes just like going with your instincts could potentially be something that we could talk about more because it's really, sometimes it's really not as serious as having a SWOT analysis and a storyboard for a viral TikTok idea. In fact, you're a lot more likely <laughs> to get the numbers on the stuff that has been in your drafts for three weeks because you think nobody's going to react to that. Nobody's going to think that's funny. And that's the stuff that takes off. So as my team's overthinker, I oversee a group of a group of um, fantastic creators. i I want to be the overthinker and I want them to pitch me on the ideas um, and then tell me when I'm overthinking. I think uh, so so in general, topically that's a, that's a very long and winding way to say. sometimes these jobs are easier than we make them.
0: You've almost certainly heard of Slate, one of the most powerful admission CRMs on the market. And you may have heard of HubSpot, a dynamic and robust marketing CRM that is second to none when it comes to marketing and full funnel reporting. But have you ever heard of HubSlate? HubSlate is a two-way data sync between HubSpot and Slate that ensures consistency of data and information for prospective, current, and former students. Gone are the days of list uploads, checking multiple platforms for the most up-to-date information, or having to pull multiple reports in order to get a sense of your entire enrollment funnel. With HubSlate, you'll be able to work smarter, more efficiently, and without all the stress that comes with managing contact records. It's 2023. It's time to let your systems work for you. If you want to learn more about HubSlate or to see a demo, visit enrollify.org slash HubSlate. That's enrollify.org slash HubSlate, and you'll instantly qualify for 20% off the onboarding fee. I want to jump back to what you said first about the burnout and stuff. I'm actually working on my PhD and my dissertation topic is looking at the impact of social media on the mental health of social media managers. And I'm not even a quarter of the way through my research, but it's it's staggering how little research is out there, but also just how prevalent it is of a topic. There's just so much that is impacting mental health of social media managers um, from both being their brand's bodyguard, as well as the pressures that's coming down from leadership and the expectations to always have successful and viral posts and maybe leadership not understanding what goes into that or how regular marketing posts or promotions for programs is not going to do as well as stories about your people and so that is a interesting and very true like perspective of what's going on in these positions so I'm glad you shared that okay let's so let's talk hacks and tips what are some of those things that are not in the guidebook of managing social media what are those Tips, hacks, tricks that you have found that work best for you—that maybe people wouldn't know about.
1: My team is under a contract right now with an organization called Dunro.io. I don't know if you guys are talking about it at, at ZME or not, but it's—it's it's been really awesome for us. It's a fairly inexpensive um, platform on which we can benchmark against other institutions. So it's all publicly available data. So all of this is. We're able to go get manually, but what Dunro does so beautifully is you can filter by. So we're we're mostly interested in benchmarking ourselves uh, primarily against other SEC um, Southeastern Conference schools, but uh, also we have peer and peer aspirant lists just like everybody else does. So in Dunro, we can go get all the publicly information available, all the publicly available information um, there in a the dashboard and see. So like, what did everybody in the SEC say last year about? Um, Pride Month or Black History Month, or I can go back and look at engagement scores and things like that for um, seeing how a school might have handled uh, a tragic situation or a protest or something like that. And and it's really just a a one-stop shop sort of dashboard tool that we use to see what's going on um, in a very simple way. Uh, Like I said, it's not... It's not groundbreaking in that you can go manually collect this information, but it is a huge time saver for our team. Um, I would also say the pandemic really forced us, and I'm sure I'm sure we're not unique in this, but the pandemic really forced us all to adopt uh, our school as a Microsoft school, so Microsoft Teams and the Microsoft. Um, suite of products so it's funny one of my staff members actually recently introduced me to some a tool in microsoft teams called the loop component which is just it's google docs but it's right there within the chat of um of your of your team's chat so it's nice i can if we're brainstorming about something in a team's chat we can turn it into a it's called a loop component and um and keep notes like keep like keep them actively available and then it it becomes it's linkable into a different profile and I can save it. So gone are the days of us scrolling through our chat and just trying to decipher like what we, where we landed on a certain piece of content because we can create a, once, once conversation becomes brainstorm, we we transition into something called a loop component. So some advice, I guess, if you're, if you're a Microsoft school, or if you're not um, look into look into how tools that are already available to you uh, can potentially help streamline some processes. Uh, I also have tried to implement something that I call teams hours and text hours, which is to say these jobs aren't like strictly eight thirty or nine to five as everyone who ever listens to this podcast will know. Um, but one thing I've tried to do in an effort to, um, be more judicial about when i'm reaching out to my team when my team is reaching out to me how we're how we're maintaining boundaries is that implemented text hours so after five we go to text messages i'm not going to put anything in a team's channel that i want my that i want my team to be responsive for and i'm also since text in my mind means I'm crossing a little bit more of a boundary i'm careful not to send stuff that can wait till the next day right so it, it gives me a a stopping point and and my team as well i'm getting better at it i swear this will be the year that i fully implement it um sometimes i just will accidentally send a text message during team's hours when i want their text i want the text threads to be a little more sacred like a little more casual and a little less worky Whereas teams is where the business happens. so sometimes I'm going to need you after hours. And that's, those are text hours. So that's a very s- small example of a thing that we, um, that we've implemented as a team. I love Kelly, that. I, I'm not, I'm not good at this. <laughs> you're, you're great. I love
0: this. That's such insightful information though, because I know that that is a, an interesting boundary, especially when our jobs are 24 seven and we're constantly on call in a way, being able to keep those text messages sacred and being able to draw that boundary between teams and text, I think is so essential. I wish. Yeah. And it's a, more. it's a
1: thought for me. It, it, it's a pause point for me. I'm like, when I, if it's text hours, when I go to text my team, I'm like, this can wait. Like if it's a, if it's a work thing, right. It's just a little different to send somebody a text to their personal device versus sending them a Teams message. So it's something that even if it only helps me as their manager, I'm trying to be more intentional about in terms of their time.
0: I love that. Also, back to that, um, the Teams, the looping thing to keeping the -hmm. the dot from your, that is brilliant. I have used Teams before and I didn't know that was a thing. So I'm going to have to go check that out.
1: It's the little. Um, it looks like a little P to me, and it's circled, so it doesn't look like it says loop component. But um, it, I guess, it indicates that it's a loop. But very cool, very easy to use. You can title it there, um, and like I said, what's nice about that is now all of the brainstorming that you've done about a specific topic is right there in one document, as opposed to oh, um, now they made a joke, and I have to scroll up past the joke and maybe my team jokes an incessant amount, like maybe we should reel in the jokes, but loop components have been huge for us. We have loved that.
0: Well, I think being able to work smarter, not harder with that is essential and so brilliant. But also I do love that your team jokes because a team that has fun together, like is going to be better connected and just be able to have fun at work. It doesn't have to be all serious all the time. So you have a great team and, they crack me up. So knowing them personally, what occupation other than your own would you like to try? It's a little bit of a different question.
1: I think that I would love to work in tourism. Like I'd love to. I mean, you know how I feel about Columbia, South Carolina, shameless plug, by the way, about Columbia, South Carolina, if you're looking for a small to mid sized city with big city amenities, look no further than where Callie and I live here in sunny and Famously hot, surprisingly cool, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, So Columbia, obviously, is a destination. Love it. But I think destination marketing would be really fun. And so it's not not social media, but it is more like really sink my teeth into a place. And um, because with, with places, you get to tell people stories, too. So I think if I weren't doing social media specific I would try to make a break into destination marketing or something in the tourism sector because not only do you have locals that you can talk about, but if you're in a place that um, is highly attractive to tourists, now you're like welcoming new people to the place all the time and that just sounds really cool to me also with destination marketing you have a destination to market as opposed to like an amalgus research project that's kind of difficult to sink their teeth into in terms of higher ed it's a little bit different right it's like you there's always going to be something you can go photograph a visual element of a destination which I which I love and we're lucky obviously in higher ed to have to have campuses for that um for that reason so in a lot of respects what we do is destination marketing in higher ed because we are we are trying to get people to make the University of South Carolina their destination. So did I just realize that I didn't really answer your question? And instead no, you, I just said, you no, did. I kind of like what I do. <laughs> no, you definitely answered it. Because it's it's
0: interesting to see that it's very similar to what we do. Because yeah. uh, you're right, it is destination marketing in a way. But um, switching over, like if you weren't doing higher ed, doing it for the city, it shows that what you are currently doing is very similar to what you would want to do elsewhere which means that your passions are pretty much aligned one thing that i've noticed over the years is that um a lot of people know you and you're one of those people that if you're talking online like people know who you are and so i find it very funny whenever i'm talking about you to my family my I'll say something about like, yeah, CJ and I are going to dinner and he'll say CJ who? And I think that's funny because it was like, everybody knows CJ, but my dad will always say CJ who? And I'm like, CJ from USC. And he's like, oh, okay. So we did that the first like, yeah, we did that three or four times. And then it became a joke that I didn't catch on to for a while. So he knew who you were, but he would always say CJ who? And so even to this day, we've been friends for years at this point. And I'll mention, like, yeah, I'm going to dinner with CJ. And he's like, CJ who? And I'm like, CJ, you know who CJ is. And he's like, it's just a joke <laughs> at this point. So we're going to have to it's get funny. you um, a shirt that says, hi, my name is CJ. CJ who? CJ <laughs> who? I love that. But, Shout uh, out
1: Glenn.
0: <laughs> yes. Everybody, um, you're just one of those people. You You make friends everywhere you go. And you are so passionate about the city and promoting where we live and – the university and it makes people want to follow you and um see That's what you're really doing and...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well
0: i i remember we ta- had this conversation a few weeks ago that i met you on twitter and honestly was like she seems cool i want to ah. be friends with her and then like twitter stalked you for a while until somehow we became like we met up but i don't remember the context of like how that ended up being. Um, I'm sure it had to do with social media and us like
1: we're gonna have to scroll back through our text and figure that out where our first link was.
0: I think one thing that I would encourage people who are working in higher ed to do is if you have other schools in your community or within a general vicinity of where you're at, like reach out to their social team and try to make friends. I know that you and me and Hillary from Clemson were in a text group And every time a hurricane was coming, uh, we would text each other because I was working at a private university in town. You're at the public university, and we would always have this, are you closing? Are we closing? Um, Yeah. Or snow, the very random chance that we get snow or ice. It's like everybody's freaking out and asking social media, and we don't know, but – We get a little bit of insight. Like if one school makes the decision, the others will follow. It's always just a matter of who's going to make the decision, which school is going to go first. Yeah,
1: yeah. and the the insight into things like that is valuable. But beyond that, just like the ability to reach out to somebody in your town um, to share in a laugh or to just commiserate if something's going terribly wrong – Um, Yeah, to your point, Callie, I think that's a wonderful uh, pro tip to anybody who is working in higher ed. If you live in a city or a a place that has multiple or a state that has a lot of um, colleges, reach out. But I I think that's wonderful advice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think there's something special about like having other higher ed friends that aren't in your area, too. Um, I know that we're going to plug this a lot on this podcast, the higher ed social group on Facebook, which will be linked in the show notes is such a great resource for being able to meet other higher ed social media managers. There's about 10,000 people in that group from all over the world, but I have loved getting to meet people in person and form friendships with other higher ed social media managers, but also having those friendships close by for being able to meet up for dinner or coffee or just, yeah, being able to commiserate about the highs and lows and everything in between um, that's city specific too. There's some things that when we have hurricanes or snow or whatever, like other people that are up north may never understand what that experience is like for us or how that impacts our work or just local local stuff. So I think that's a great, um, great thing that people should do. If you could give someone new to this field a piece of advice... What would that be?
1: It would probably be similar to the advice that I give to um, classrooms when when I'm asked to speak in a class on campus, either our campus or another, or present to a group of students, like, prospects to this type of career, which is... Always be honing your writing skills. I think um, writing is very important, even in the age of ChatGPT and um, artificial intelligence, which are which are nat- natural language um, processing artificial intelligences. I think it's still going to be very important to to be able to write because, try though it will, ChatGPT is still not going to know like the language du jour, um, the language of the day, like how to incorporate. Uh, what's happening in very real time. They're also not student, AIs are also not students on your campus. So in a sense, um, you're going to have a better, you're going to have a better view on what what's going on on your campus. And, and I'm talking specific to higher ed right now, but globally, really, I, I think it's always going to be important to be a really strong written communicator in this kind of job. Um, and that's not just to write your own copy, but also to edit copy, to um have the perspective of being able to take a piece of copy that's good, um, turn it over in your head a little bit more and make it really, really good or even great. So um, in general, I think that if you have a penchant for writing, you can be successful um, in, in these fields. I think that's a, that's an important element, uh, an important skill for these, for these jobs.
0: That's great advice. I know that when I first started, I was not a strong writer. And that was one of those skills that I had to improve pretty rapidly because it does take some skills to take an entire story and be able to shrink it down to fit in a tweet or be able to take long paragraphs and make it into something that's perfect for social and Mm -hmm. consumable on social I remember taking a class for my master's program that was asking us to do these like analytical papers. And I remember telling the professor, I'm like, I'm having such a hard time because I have spent so long training my brain to take large amount of information and compress it to 160 yeah. characters. It's difficult for me to expand that and write mm. a bunch of fluff when you can just get to the point. So yeah. grammar.
1: When, when, when when the attention span we're working with on a day-to-day basis is like, you know, that it, it can be hard to, to stare down a, a um, minimum page limit kind of assignment. It's like, what do you mean? I'm used to working with minimum characters, maximum characters, you know, like, ah, why don't I say fewer words and make a bigger impact?
0: Value over noise is one of my favorite phrases, so... What is a moment that you wish you could have pulled back the curtain and let people see behind the screens?
1: What comes to mind for me is, and if anybody's ever done any kind of rebrand at all, whatsoever, you know the feeling. Um, People have very strong feelings about brands as as like intangible as General Motors. Uh, You take the feelings people have about a brand like General Motors and apply it to a brand like their university their alma mater where they spent some of the most formative years of their lives Um, and then you rebrand that university perhaps change what your university is called in an official sense Uh, we did that back in 2019 the university of south carolina rolled out some new um, brand marks that were harshly received and I'll I'll leave it at that by a lot of our by a lot of our publics. And I do wish I, I think back on that um period of weeks that turned into months that turned into years and I I wish that I could have had the clarity of mind to write a case study about that and just what we were going through like what the experience was. Um and without discussing my opinions on it, I I can tell you it I think it would have been shocking for people to to really see the kind of liberty that people took in the comment sections of things um that sometimes the people that are posting these by the way have no control over (laughs) so it's um if i think back on my career i think i think that's a a moment that i think would potentially change some people's hearts and minds if they could see behind the curtain
0: the college that i worked for was a women's college, a private women's college, and it, our board decided to go co ed, and they gave us very little notice on that about uh, 24 hours before they released the decision. And as a team of one at the time, managing our social presence when people had very strong feelings about that decision, it's, I equate it to a culture change. And for people who are not familiar with, a single gender institution, it's like saying Chick-fil-A is now going to be open on Sundays and sell hamburgers. Like it is a whole culture change. And so the, some of the messages and posts it's it. I asked often, I was like, where do people have like store that audacity to like say some of this stuff publicly? Um, because people were very vocal on what they were willing to post online, but then also some of the messages that I got personally were just, I mean, we've got death threats. We've gotten the, some of the DMs that we get are so negative and so hurtful and hateful. And I think people forget that there is a person behind the screens. Like there is somebody with emotions.
1: Yeah. And earlier I mentioned that it it's a blessing to work for a brand that I know and love and a product that I know and love, but that you and I have talked about this before. That's a double-edged sword because you know, the more you Mm -hmm. love something, the more it hurts when somebody's tearing it down. And at Blue Cross Blue Shield, that was, that was my, that was my job. And I, I took a lot of pride in my job, but at the University of South Carolina, the institution from which I learned the most, I think in my life, that was hard that was hard to read a lot of that stuff was very hard to read and thinking back on it I I know it gave me a, a new perspective um, about how to try to separate um, me from the handle right like it that it can it can be hard to do in a, in normal good circumstances and it, even harder when um, things are things are rough
0: I feel like that's one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn working in higher ed is, being able to draw that boundary between me and the brand, and as someone who also worked for my alma mater, it was difficult. Like I felt so protective of our brand, like way more than anyone else on campus felt, because I was one of the few that graduated from there and was repping them in marketing and communications and stuff. And so I took things more personally, and I had a dif- but I had a different viewpoint that I think is so, Mm. like, niche and critical of being able to know how our alumni are going to feel and how I feel as a faculty staff member and perspectives of how our students are going to feel. Like, I had that unique viewpoint, but sometimes while that was a blessing, it also was a curse in that people's opinions and people's comments, like, really, really were difficult, so... I took things way too personally. The last few questions I want to ask you. Some of these are going to be like rapid fire. But are you a person that likes to schedule things or post on the fly?
1: We're a post on the fly, and I'll tell you why. There's a strategic reason why, um, and it always surprises, especially from talking to like campus partners from across campus. They're always kind of surprised to learn that even at the university level, we don't we don't schedule a whole lot. I think there's an accountability to posting in real time that's not there when you schedule. So. Um, when Michaela, my, my strategist posts a reel as opposed to scheduling it, she's naturally going to be more inclined to refreshing and seeing what comments are pouring in and she's going to be able to reply. So I feel pretty strongly actually about, um, posting in real time. There are exceptions to that. For example, we have routine, um, posts that go out in the evenings when we like capstone the the um, one of the residence halls that's in the pretty prominent in this columbia skyline that goes out when the sun sets so about 7:15, we usually know the reason i can usually schedule that post out things like that i'm willing to schedule um but generally speaking our team is a our team is a post on the fly team next question <laughs> what is your favorite
0: platform both personally and for your brand
1: my favorite platform personally has been Twitter. I don't know how much time you have to talk about <laughs> how that's changing under its new ownership, but I do, um, I, I am sad to see Twitter abandon some of the things that made it so great. That has been historically my very favorite platform for a very long time. Um, personally, for our—I mean, uh, professionally for our brand—probably um, Instagram because for many of the same reasons that I love Twitter, which is that microblogging, you can post video, you can post photo. Twitter is sort of the it does it all um, platform. We're we're picking up some major steam on Instagram is for the brand. And, and that is 100% a credit to my team who have really focused and, and honed in on that platform. I'll admit that as a millennial, I used to be married hardcore to the aesthetic of the feed, like the bar super duper high for visuals, like heavily branded visuals, like got to look real good. Um, and that's really not the game anymore. Like that we just more or less have to spam to perform nowadays. Right. So, um, Instagram, I would say, um, reels is, crushing for us right now
0: I definitely agree I think those actually match my two favorites as well what has been your favorite trend that your school has participated in
1: I love the trend of POV for higher ed specifically because it's just so you can take it in so many different directions you can make somebody laugh with it you can make somebody cry with it you can make somebody think deep thoughts with it we did one that's um not that that was not that far into the semester like I guess it was toward the end of August where we did like POV it's a Friday night and you just got out of your last class and it's this like vibey like cotton candy sky with our smokestack and like an iconic like frame of campus it's literally a six second clip that we put to some commercially licensed music with pov you just gotta cl- out of class and you've got dinner plans with your friends um later today whatever blah 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 you think you're gonna watch a movie in the residence hall later um life is good like that kind of thing right the little vibey moments that everybody can really relate to right the feeling of being out of class on a friday and having the weekend ahead of you um uh or like you can take it another direction like pov you just realized you haven't talked to your mom in two weeks you should call your mom and we've gotten good feedback on stuff like that right so you can you can take it different directions but pov in general if you're not already doing those either even from a copy standpoint if you're not putting on top of um on top of media it's uh it's one of my favorite trends for higher ed because it's a it's just such a no-brainer. You can you can come up with universal experiences that most most students on your campus are gonna are gonna relate to. You can name specific buildings that people have nostalgic ties to, and. Um, so I think in one of our POVs we've done, like, we've mentioned the Russell House, which is our student union, which naturally ties people to the place and gives them like, oh my gosh, I've totally seen 30 movies at Russell House when I was a USC student, right? So tapping into that sense of nostalgia also for our alums, not just our current students. POVs are probably my faves.
0: That's really a limitless trend that really does yeah, meet so many different audiences in one uh, clip, in like one one piece of media. They can like you said, places on campus, those memories, those vibes, those different perspectives really brings people back to why they're following you and their experience there and um, really connects them back to the institution. Okay, very last question. CJ, what is your confession? What is something that you've done as a social media manager that someone probably wouldn't expect?
1: One time I accidentally got yelled at because I thought it would be a whole, not hilarious, a great idea. I thought it would be a great idea to feature one of our academic deans um, for a TikTok ad we were working on promoting one of our summer institutes. And I was like, you know, it would be hilarious if we put Dean Reichert on the top of capstone and he was holding a sign upward and had it got just an area, like a drone shot, getting closer and closer to the sign so he could be like, register for, you know, Media Insights Academy or whatever it is. And I was like, okay, I can probably get access to the roof of Capstone to do that. And I did. I mean, I did. I think we worked with facilities to get the access to the roof. And in my defense, they gave it to us. So I was like, okay, cool. This is fine. In retrospect, after a few phone calls from the USCPD and from housing, who were less than happy about my brilliant creative idea, um... We were informed that, hey, nice try, glad nobody got hurt, but um, maybe don't share that content because we don't want to inspire future asks of getting on top of very, very tall buildings in a capital city. Apparently, there were calls into USCPD because they thought there was, like, somebody oh, no. attempting to, to jump and, like there were there were apparently harnesses that needed to be involved. I broke all kinds of rules that day, totally did not intend to and apologized profusely, still routinely apologize for my antics that day. um you You can't win them all, but that's a that's a confession, I guess, but i have i have made i hope I have made amends to the wronged parties, and it will not happen again.
0: Capstone isn't a small <laughs> building either. it is
1: very tall no yeah it's twenty it's twenty stories. Look at that. Give it a goog if you're listening it's not not my not my I'll say not my best moment mentally. <laughs>
0: I think that is the best confession to kick off this first episode
1: with. Nice.
0: Thank you so much, CJ, for joining me today. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. And thank you so much to everybody who listened. Give us a follow on any platform that you get your podcast on. We would love that. And you can find some of our favorite links in the show notes below. Thank you, CJ.
1: Callie, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows, too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify podcast network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.